All of this begins with the fact that retailers are allowed to sell to whoever they want to. And when they have an in-demand item, as tends to be the case, they're going to want to exploit that for all it's worth. And retailers have found that at certain instances, they can string along consumers, get them to spend a lot more money to get the thing they want, whether that's directly, meaning just charging more for the same item, or saying, before you buy the watch you want, I want you to spend X number of dollars with me or buy these other things. That way, it doesn't look like you're just trying to reach for an outright bribe. Retailers have to play this fine line when it comes to manipulation. You know, I want to push someone far enough to extract money out of a consumer, but not so far as to totally alienate them. And that push and pull is sort of a delicate thing, and this is what can happen when it goes wrong. Greetings, and welcome to this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly. Ariel, David, you're both here this week. How are you, gentlemen? Uh, I'm in the midst of a lot of podcasting. Uh, I have to sometimes remember, like, what show am I doing? <laughs> am, I, am I being interviewed? Am I, am I interviewing someone else? It's great. I mean, um, you know, uh, two years ago, really, or more than two years ago now, we sort of relaunched podcasting. Not a lot of the Blog to Watch team was sort of into it. It was sort of unclear where it was going to be. This was even before you and I started talking about this weekly thing. Yeah. Um, and now... I think that what what I've been talking about, what you realize in Validate is like the watch world loves podcasts. So it's great. And we're building something, you know, an amazing body of work, um, especially with superlative. I think that it has like so much value even after the fact, like like in five years, if you heard this episode of a blog to watch weekly, like it could be fun. But I'm sure you're thinking like, oh, well, that's old news. But I really <laughs> hope that a lot of the content we make, you know, ends up being um, somewhat evergreen that you can go back to it later and it, it'll still be interesting. So. You know, but now we're in the building process, so it, it's a lot. It's great, but it, it, it's it's definitely a lot of work, you know, as, as you know. David, did that sound like Ariel was having a go at a blog to watch weekly? No, <laughs> no, no. It's, it's just we, we just have to keep doing this for, uh, for the rest of our lives to stay relevant. <laughs> That's right. I, I, you seem to be saying that we were irrelevant and that everything. I think. I, I no, think we you need, know what it I is. We need to go. We need some... the live audience. We need the live audience. All the sitcoms, all the comedians, all that stuff. They have the live audience, which sort of like eggs them on. Like, you know, we don't have that same thing. The audience is later, but there's something about, I want to record maybe some podcasts with a group of people that can be very interesting. I guess a lot of it is, you know, I want to have conversations and not just we like, but also the audience likes and mm. people say they like the conversations, but I think you get such immediate feedback from people right there that it's, it's, it's difficult when you um, have to sort of guess without that as to how people are responding. Or we can just say whatever we want and use pre-recorded laughter and clapping. Basically just. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. The, you know, the, AI, the, what if there was an AI laugh track that was still hard to please? Like you still had to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's depressing. <laughs> well, I, I, I think it's time for me to go on superlative and say it's old, dull, boring, and it's been going on for too long, and that everyone should no, be listening to a blog to oh watch my God. <laughs> What I'm saying is that a news show has people, the immediacy, people want to know right, right now. Um, and that's the value because it's it's the latest stuff. Superlative is an interview show. There's there's very little reason for any one of the sh shows to listen to right now. Like, oh, wow, I got to hear that or it's going to be old news. Like five years from now, the conversation in many instances is still relevant. So yeah. it's not about the desirability. It's just about the 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 long tail nature of the media. I mean, you know, there, I'm reading The Economist every single day. I think it's great. I'm not like, what is this old news? But like, 
five years from now, the same article is not going to have the same value to me, right? Yeah. Well, that, it's a great chat to begin with, Ari. As soon as just before we started recording, we discussed doing a wee section going back in time <laughs> to look at an old Good. article <laughs> on the Watch Weekly. So there we go. Anyway, we might get onto that later on, but there is plenty else going on. But first of all, David, how are you? You you've been busy building watches while Ari has been talking about them. Yes, I actually built a watch, um, uh, yeah, and I'm happy to tell you about it. It's, it's through Initium, uh, or Initium, and uh, however you want to pronounce it. It's a, it's a small little company in Switzerland, and basically what you do is you go on their website, initium.ch, and you can configure your own watch, and you can choose the movement style. It can be skeletonized, it can be like a full movement, you have all kinds of different dial versions, solid, open work, you know, classical, sporty, whatever else, the hand color, the strap color. Uh, case style and then they send it to you in pieces the movement is assembled but the rest is not and you have to put it all together uh, on your own and they uh, you know they sell you the the toolkit that you can use and they have these uh, instruction videos on the website and it's just such a cool experience I, I recorded the whole thing and I look forward to um, writing about it um, and uh, finishing the review for a block to watch so that was a lot of fun great stuff and are you wearing it um not at the moment no I don't wear a watch around the house. <laughs> you don't wear a watch around the house? What, you have all your watches sitting at the front door ready to go out? Yes, <laughs> but I, I don't wear them. I, the first thing I get out of my is I take them off. That's a, that's, that's a bit weird. Ariel, do you take your watch off as soon as you go home? Oh, I'm wearing a watch right now. Yeah. Do you? So, David, you obviously don't sleep with a watch on. Ariel, do you sleep with a watch on? Uh, no, I, I. It'll like poke me, and I'll, I'll like wake up with this weird indent in my. In, it's like it's all. It's bad. It's bad. You want to keep the sharp things away, and I. I, I sleep with two watches on. I sleep with an Apple Watch and whatever watch I have to wear that day on. They must be darn soft. Okay, is all I gotta say. Like Christo- this Christo- I'm wearing a Christopher Ward Twelve. It's soft and smooth and supple on the wrist. Nice. I'm wearing I'm wearing a force a four sided ninja star in my wrist. Okay, <laughs> that's great. I was just going to say it's so nice when someone smacks you in the head with like a six hundred meter diver in the middle of the night. <laughs> uh, David suffering from roll together. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think I think that's actually the first ever wrist check we've done on the show. Seventy six episodes, the first time we've ever talked about what we're wearing, which is just as well because it turns out David's never wearing a watch when we record because we're yet to record outside. The funny thing is, I have a watch next to me on the table whenever I work or whatever else. I, I have it here next to me, but not on my hand, not on my wrist. Uh, yeah, it's, I think that shows lack. I think lack David of puts his watch on when he puts his shoes on. I think that's yes. his ritual. Yes, oh, you're not. Exactly. You're not. Uh, you're not. I take your shoes off at the door, person, are you? I out the door. What do you mean? No, as in like you're not one of these people that insists that anyone that comes into their house takes their shoes off and wanders around the house in their socks. Uh, I mean, I <laughs> don't a, wear that's a, a shoe. That's a big split among people. Really, it's... like wearing a shoe indoors that's weird i mean if i had a farm i would probably wouldn't be like taking it off all the time because i would be going outdoors all the time but since i'm home and there's nothing outside to do then i don't wear a shoe around the house because it's like you know you know what all right there's not enough reasons to divide people we found a new division do you wear the shoes in the house or not we're gonna we're tearing the community apart at this point. People are going to find one camp to go on. I apologize in advance to the listenership, but we are about to get severely <laughs> distracted from talking about watches. Okay, so let me get this clear. David, you come, go in, when you arrive home, you take off your watch and your shoes and wander yes. around watchless and in your socks. Yes, at best. Okay, I, 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 I thought I knew you. I thought I knew you. <laughs> 
You think you know a guy. I, yeah, it's funny that people have this mental image of me wearing shoes around the house. It's, that's hilarious. It's like, I, can, I can promise you that no one has ever had a mental image of you wandering the house in anything but shoes if they've ever had a mental image of you at all. That's hilarious. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, at the opposite end of the spectrum, I'm wearing two watches wandering around the house in my wellies. Ariel, you somewhere in the middle, clearly. Do you have a set of slippers at the door? Uh... Yeah, I'm definitely in the middle. Um, I am wearing like, you know, house sandal shoes, whatever you want to call them, and a watch. I just feel I feel like I'm betraying my hobby if I don't wear a watch all the time. The Aria Adams is not wearing a watch when he could be wearing a watch. I, how dare he? I just I have to represent the hobby a little bit. You know, it's not for me. It's a sacrifice I have to make for this collective love we have. Dave is clearly a sheep in wolf's clothing or a wolf in sheep's clothing, which way around it is. <laughs> <laughs> pretending pretending yeah. david what david david what are you really into because it's clearly yeah, not watches i like watches i guess <laughs> <laughs> just a little <laughs> 10 years into it oh my goodness he's, he's into those special shoe racks you put next to the door he's really into those oh yeah I, Please tell me you're not one of these people that's like, okay, well, I, I, we're about to break. We're about to break me, let alone break the internet. You don't have keys fastened to your 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 belt loop, do you? No, but but, but the no, entire no. home no. Is, is basically destroyed and in shambles. But <laughs> I have the most fantastic shoe racks that you've ever seen. It's like I just sit there on a little stool and just appreciate my shoe racks and the shoes on them, obviously. Your, your keys shouldn't be also a bell, okay? They shouldn't announce that you're coming and going. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will confess that I have more shoes than my wife, but there you go. Anyway, there we have it. That's a little insight into the world of the three of us that you are completely not asking for. However, what we do have to do because a movie has been watched that does have watch content is do a blog to watch, watches, watches. Ariel, you've been to see the latest Indiana Jones. Give us a star rating out of five for the film and a star rating out of five for the watch content of the film. Which was better, the watch content or the film? Wow, well, it, this was this was not only a movie that had like a watch placement in it, but this was a watch lover's movie in a lot of ways. And there's an article where uh, I talk about this. It hasn't been published yet, but in a couple of days' time, mm. um, I'm sure it's going to come out. Um, I mean, from the name of the movie, Dial of Destiny, mm -hmm. to the fact that they talk about the sort of stars, this uh, this device called the Antikythera, which is a real device, which is clockwork and about telling time. The movie sort of has a time travelish element to it. And then there's like watch scenes constantly where there's something with a watch in it and it's it's totally nuts. I don't want to give spoilers for people, but like it's just fun to see all the watch spotting and, and, and the plot how they put it in there. My favorite one is, you know, most of the movie is sort of like, oh, I remember remember it in this other movie, kind of. <laughs> and there's this scene where, you know, in, in Indiana Jones, they're, they're opening up the casket. You know, there's the tomb of the, you know, very old, you know, body corpse. And one of them, the old corpse, which is supposed to be like 2,000 years old, has like a wristwatch. And they're like, what's going on here? And they just, I, I mean, to put that in an Indiana Jones movie it almost looked like a mistake. Like, wait a minute, that skeleton shouldn't be having a watch. Like, that was part of the plot. They didn't even explain it. They barely explain it. And, and that's why I can't give this movie full marks on uh, sort of the movie itself, because even though it's amazing to watch, uh, from a plot perspective, there's a couple of things you're like, wait a minute. Um, I mean, and that's even with suspending a lot of d belief, but it is a, it is a good romp. It is fun. 
And again, if you are a watch person, you'll you'll not only feel like this this well represents the watch world, but has but is made by people who maybe think like you a little bit um, and, and wanted watches to be a big part of it. So again, it, if you're a watch lover, you probably have to see it. Very good time. I went as a guest of Hamilton to the official opening in LA, which was a much more special experience. They had John Williams there performing um, some of the score. Uh, a lot of the people there came in costume. It was very odd because it felt like I was in an amalgamation of all the movies because there's a lot of very good costumes. Uh-huh. Um, so it was very, very exciting. Um, but I, I thought it was pretty well done. Um, I'm, I'm sure the reviews are going to be mixed. It's not like the first time we all saw, you know, you know, uh, any of the first three movies. But it 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 beats the the crystal one, the last one that came out by a long shot. <laughs> a lot of it was filmed in Glasgow, so all of the scenes in it, which is, I believe there's a whole load of moon scenes with the parade with neil armstrong is that right yeah yeah that 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 was a big part of it. and in sicily which i so i actually traveled in sicily to some of the places that were in the movie even though wow did the the movie screw up the geography of sicily in the weirdest way well <laughs> i think so i mean glasgow was shut down for about three weeks while they changed all the storefronts in glasgow to be american hot dog diners and all this kind of bobbins. yeah so yeah i went to see some of that being filmed so and they just left was, it that way <laughs> yeah just left it that way it would have been better than the returning it to the way it is but they would have it i'll bet <laughs> so you give the movies worth a watch look i mean if you're listening to the show, chances are you care about watches and you are of a certain age where you've seen most of them. You basically <laughs> have to, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I got to go and see it. Got to go and see it, even if it turns out to be rubbish. Somebody's getting sued. And the company that's getting sued, according to WatchPro, is a company you're familiar with because I believe it's local to where you used to be, a company called Shreve & Co. This is a Patek Philippe authorized dealer being sued for half a million dollars after a customer claims he was duped. Now, we did have to explain what duped meant to David, as it's not a word he was familiar with, which we forgive him uh, for. But this just appears to be a bit weird. Rich bloke sues other lots of rich blokes for not being able to buy the richest of rich bloke things. I, I, I'm not surprised by this. This was this case was only a matter of time. <laughs> right. And it, whether it, it, that it was Shreve and that it was this particular you know plaintiff is is really uh, kind of coincidental. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a practice which has been happening too much for a number of years. And I really think that this guy was pissed off and was like, you know what? I want to prove a point. I want to call them out on their BS. And I'm kind of happy that this happened because it's very infrequent that a lot of this funny business, if you will, behind the scenes ever makes it to sort of court. I love it when it does because honestly, in a lot of ways, justice tends to prevail. Whereas before... You know, it was just sort of a bunch of, you know, uh, what low risk communities, i.e. wealthy people um, fighting amongst one another. Yeah. So the basic story is man wants to buy Patek 5980, which is gold uh, Patek and is told or believes he's been told or alleges that the only way to get on the list to get one was to buy lots of other Patek goodies from this particular dealer obviously then didn't show up so he's suing in some way shape or form to say well you made me a promise that if i did x you would provide y you didn't provide y so i'm suing suing you about it do we think that this will change anything the fact that somebody dares to actually raise a case against a store 
will put the frighteners on other people hinting or tipping the hat to the old yes if you if you buy 33 of these date just we might just let you buy the submariner at some point in the future so all of this begins with the fact that retailers are allowed to sell to whoever they want to and when they have an in-demand item as tends to be the case they're going to want to exploit that for all it's worth and retailers have found that at certain instances they can string along um, consumers, get them to spend a lot more money to get the thing they want, whether that's directly, meaning just charging more for the same item, or saying, before you buy the watch you want, I want you to spend X number of dollars with me or buy these other things. That way it doesn't look like you're just trying to reach for an outright bribe. But in essence, you are trying to bribe the retailer into selling you something and that's very frustrating as a consumer. There's a lot of legal issues with that. And it also happens to be more or less against the rules with that, that retailer's relationship with the brand. Mm -hmm. I don't think that this was a consumer who was not sophisticated. Um, I actually think I may know who this person is. <laughs> and I, I, I believe that they have, they've done this before um, and they were probably trying to prove a point. Mm -hmm. I think that they were probably happy to do it so long as they felt that it would get them an in. But again, retailers have to play this fine line when it comes to this manipulation. You know, I want to push someone far enough to extract money out of a consumer, but not so far as to totally alienate them. And that push and pull is sort of a delicate thing. And this is what can happen when it goes wrong. Um, <clears throat> lawsuits are not infrequent. What I think is important here is that he's making sure that Patek Philippe gets slung in it. And I'm sure Patek is not happy about this at all, because even though Patek, you know, probably had very little to do with this in any way, shape or form, now their name is being dragged through it and they hate this type of publicity. Um, on the one hand, it is good for them because it's like, yep, our watches are really hard to get. Look at all the crazy things people are willing to do to get them. So it actually kind of reinforces something that, that Patek Philippe likes, but they don't like being accused of fraud, trickery, or things like that. That is definitely something that, that, that doesn't coincide well with them. So I, I, I really don't know how this is going to pan out. Obviously, uh, you know, the, 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 the person that, that did the lawsuit feels that there's a claim here. It's clearly not about money. This person has enough money. So I, I think he just wants it to be shown that, that, that companies do this. Hopefully, there'll be a stop. Um, but this is one of those very strange legal areas that I'm not really sure. It's not a matter of how it's going to pan out legally, but how it's going to translate into changes in the watch industry, I really don't know. But this practice isn't going away. Nothing, no outcome of this case will make that practice, you know, flat out n not not allowed. If there's a will, there there will be a way. Uh, so I just wanted to add that the um, watch press states that the case is complicated by the fact that Shreve and Co is among the authorized dealers that have lost the agency of the watchmaker this year. So was ultimately unable to sell the watch to the customer, even if it had wanted to. But uh, it's still, um, according to um, to this customer, um, Shreve was still trying to push him into like making further purchases, even if it had probably already known that it would not be able to deliver the watch mm -hmm. uh, eventually. So they are no longer an, a, a, a Patek dealer is the point. So, well, keep an eye on Watch Pro and no doubt the Watch Media for how this uh, does shake out. Whether it's a shakedown or not remains to be seen. Okay, David, on a scale of 1 to 100, how hot would you rate Ariel Adams? Oh, definitely a number one, easy. De definitely the hottest 
Is he a hottie? It, 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 wow. Well, I mean, it also depends on, on what are the factors you're talking about. So what, what uh-huh. was this list exactly and who did this? So th- this is Rob Corder's list. So how hot do you think Rob thinks Ariel is? <laughs> I, I, I have a feeling I'm not getting on the list next year. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we, we need to give you... A, we do... To be fair, we just need to roast you just a little bit over this, but uh, mainly because I want to know the story of the photograph, because the photograph that got included in the Hot 100 uh, list from Watch Pro, yours is the best photograph, the most, obviously slightly, most unstaged, staged, if that makes sense. Everyone else has got their headshots and is looking as glamorama as possible. Uh, Your son has clearly photobombed the shot and you've gone with it and it's really good. So check out on Watch Pro, but give us the story of the photo. I mean, you more or less summed it up. My son <laughs> photo yeah, bombed it. Uh, the the publication, uh, there was like a side publication, you know, that Watch Pro kind of put together, which was this um, Hot 100 thing. It's very nice of them. And, and they did a good little um, uh, event in Las Vegas to debut this publication. It was, it was again, a, a really nice thing that they're doing. And, and I think Watch Pro is doing a lot of great stuff in the U.S. They're going to be bringing awards here. I mean, there's no really uh, business-to-business publication for the watch industry in the United States. A blog to watch isn't really trying to be it. We're a business-to-consumer one, but we talked to the business as well. So I, I like that. But anyways, they hired um, a photographer, actually two gentlemen, uh, who were fantastic and who came over and we had a nice shoot and they took a bunch of shots. <clears throat> and in the middle, my son just decided to come in. So there was like you know, a small number of shots with him and I, and then the rest were just me. And that's what they chose to go with, which was news to me. I did <laughs> oh, not know, okay, you know before it came out. <laughs> it's very good. It's very good. So go go and read uh, It's that. a good one. Also, just in case, you know, because Ariel's obviously promoted out of superlative, but I have actually done an episode of superlative where I interviewed Ariel. So if you want to hear a bit of the backstory of how Ariel ended up being such a hottie, then go and listen to that episode. Yeah, it was a good show. Hi, I'm Ariel Adams, founder of a blog to watch with a message from eBay, a platform I probably use daily. Make sure your watches are the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. I believe it's the first and best service of its kind that protects your luxury purchases and checks each watch individually at eBay's highly reputable authentication partner, Stolen Company, in the United States. From band to bezel, their authenticators ensure each wristwatch matches the eBay listing and is the real deal. Authenticity guarantee is also very fast. Once authentication is complete, your watch is securely delivered via rapid two-day shipping. Surprisingly, eBay's authenticity guarantee service is free for all watches priced $2,000 and up. No one should buy a luxury item without an authenticity guarantee. Do what I do and check eBay before each watch purchase because everyone deserves real. Some other news, a bit developing, but and also kind of superlative related, which is you had interviewed Guillaume from Argon Vulcane, Nevada Grenchen, not so long yep, ago. Yep. And Argon have released their watch on Kickstarter, but it has had to be pulled or temporarily paused from Kickstarter for some reason. There appears to have been an IP claim, we think against the name Argon as opposed to being against any of the design. Again, as we spoke about last week, it's quite difficult to do anything which, you know, stops somebody producing something that's just a a design within the world of watches. Uh, 
first of all, tell us a little bit about your interview with Guillaume and did you speak about this Argon watch? Yeah, uh, we definitely spoke about this. I was interested in Guillaume's history with Kickstarter because he's one of those people who's had a lot of success um, with watch projects on Kickstarter. Um, several of them were big. His um, He had a brand... Um, that that he started on there and, and several others. They did not need to take Argon to Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. He specifically did this for sort of marketing strategy purposes, which is one way of saying <clears throat> this isn't going to stop the watches from being made or shipped. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. Um, and this is this is a risk. I mean, these days we're seeing a lot more lawsuits happening in the watch space, which means really only one thing, and that is there's an awareness that there's some big money being made here or there. Not everyone, of course, is 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 a recipient of big money. In fact, most aren't. But there are people who can get windfalls. And where there are windfalls, there are people with legal claims against them potentially. So I think we're going to be seeing <clears throat> more, not less, of potential legal claims um, related to all types of different things when there appears to be um, big money. And of course, that's that's mainly going to focus around the uh, the big brands. But yes, once in a while, there'll be something small like this. As you said, I know very little about the actual um, focus of, of the claim. Um, we were You were saying that you thought it had something to do with the name of the brand, which is entirely possible. People come out of the woodwork and say, uh, 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 but that, that, that is my brand name. You can't do that. And they would probably ha come to some agreement and how to figure something out. I mean, usually the claimants, they want they want money. Uh, and if they're able to resolve something, then uh, everything will proceed as, as, as planned. So if you go to the Kickstarter page now, it currently says Argon Watches is the subject of an intellectual property dispute and is currently unavailable. I think, and I stress this with all the reservations I'm aware of, that it may be a dispute with Aragon Watches who only differ by the inclusion of an A from being different from Argon watches. And my guess is there's a whole kind of, oh, you could confuse X for Y, et cetera, et cetera. So that is what I am hearing. You're hearing that from who? Is there I, I, any evidence of this? There is there is, there is some chatter uh, on, on the interwebs that this might be might be what's happening, that it is, it has, it's come from a watch brand whose I, name is I will is say this, I will say this. If, if the person that shut it down was somebody uh, at Kickstarter, my suspicion is that they would not do so for a similar sounding name. This is either you copied our name or you copied what our product looks like. It's one of the two. So we know that this is styled after the Debentune Dream Machine. That is that is something where if Debentune, again, I, I don't know what the relationship with Debentune is or, or, or if they care. If anything, that might make the Dream Machine more valuable, to be honest. But, you know, a Debentune is owned now by American interests, and Americans tend to be more litigious than Europeans. So it's entirely possible they're like, yeah, if you want to... Uh, if you want to use this design, you're going to give us some type of royalty or something like that. And that may be the discussions they're having right now. I don't think the, the, the claimant wants this to completely stop, but is using this as leverage to say, you need to kick us back something or have a deal with us before we proceed. Because again, a lot, and again, maybe, maybe, it, maybe I'm wrong, but most of the time, if it's a Kickstarter thing, it would have to be a very clear, someone at Kickstarter could look at their product and look at this one and be like, wow, those are so similar. Yeah, I don't want to proceed here until these parties figure it out. 
Cool. Well, keep an eye uh, on what is happening with that. I'm sure it'll resolve itself, but uh, it'll take it'll take whatever time it takes. Dubai Watch Week 2023 has announced its participating brands. Uh, we have uh, interviewed folk from Dubai Watch Week in the past. Ariel, have you been paying attention to the brands that are going to be there this year? Anything stand out? I mean, it's a really good mixture between some of the great independents and, you know, some of the big names, uh, you know, Rolex and Tudor are going to be there, Chopard, you know, Audemars Piguet. And then you have just a lot of the independents and it's the independents themselves, you know, the, the owners and proprietors, they're there with the watches. Um, they, they're close to 50 brands, I think, um, already. Yeah. Um, I know that, yeah, I, I think that they wanted to only grow a little bit. You know, there's a very limited amount of actual physical space and no one at Dubai Watch Week wants it to be overly crowded. It's supposed to be, you know, a nice time of being there a lot. I know that this year, I don't know if I can say too much, but there's a brand doing a launch, I think right before Dubai Watch Week or right after, which is something that 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 I'm going to be, you know, attending as well. So we'll see how that fits into it because there are no like really fancy launches there. It's very sort of quiet and subdued. But I, I think that the, the Siddiqui's are very happy with the, the sort of volume and format and want to make it more interesting, but I don't see a huge desire to like, you know, really grow. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, speaking to Hind earlier on, we did an interview. Uh, she was speaking about how I think there's now seven organizations will be in the kind of external pavilion with their own big booths. But I believe there is one brand that is doing something a bit special. My, I don't know who it is. So you do. So I'm just guessing from looking at the list. My guess is it might be Breitling, but that is purely a guess. I have Breitling been there before. Were they there last time? I don't think so. So that's my guess because I can't. Um, I don't think Breitling have one of the big external booths, and I can't imagine Breitling just sitting in a little stand that's exactly the same as everybody else's within the within the the kind of you know, normal area. So we'll see who it is that does that. Some interesting brands turning up. I mean, it, you you, go, you scroll down this list and it's looking more and more like Watches and Wonders uh, than, than ever before, but is clearly a much more relaxed kind of way of engaging with these brands. So yeah, uh, see how that all uh, washes out. Great stuff. Right, let's, uh, let's talk about some watches. We'll speak about uh, a watch and a story at the same time. So, Roger Dubuis Excalibur Spider Lamborghini Countach watch reviewed by Ariel. Also, Roger Dubuis CEO steps down with immediate effect. Mm -hmm. Ariel, is this watch and the CEO stepping down with immediate effect? Are either of those two things linked? They might be. <laughs> they might be. I don't have any specific information about that, you know, but... Who knows what happens with the Lamborghini relationship and if that went positive or negative. Um, this was a very expensive watch that with the material had, you know, some production issues and things like that because it was sort of a new material. I, 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 I don't really know. Um, I do know that it has been very difficult for you to be a CEO at a Richemont brand and A, um, sort of follow the market in a very agile way while also making that 
a, a, a kosher experience with the Rishmat board, right? They take a lot of time and convincing and they're slow to act and they're quite punishing with failure. And to be a dynamic CEO that has to respond to market conditions requires a lot more autonomy. And it can be quite frustrating to be a bit of a maverick and want to try new things or just you know, just actually, you know, manage while also having to uh, make sure that uh, a, a whole uh, assortment of people are on board with your decision making. Um, so I, I, I'm sure we'll get more news here and there about it. But uh, Roger Dubuis has also been one of the more notoriously difficult Richemont brands. Um, even within Richemont, it's considered quite small and boutique. A lot of what Roger Dubuis does is use his production for some of the other brands. So they have this, you know, amazing facility in Geneva and they, you know, they, they do stuff for other sister brands, assembly and things like that. So, you know, Richemont does a good job of making sure that, that everyone has a purpose, especially from an industrial uh, standpoint. Um, from a brand perspective, um, this is a brand that is hyper focused on very, very high end, small production, um, you know, very, very uh, sort of futuristic, which is fine. But it is it is about as niche as, as, as you can get and a very, very far cry from the Roger Dubuis of the pre-Richemont era, uh, so, such as in the 1990s. I mean, it, it, is, it, is, it, could, it couldn't be further from what that Roger Dubuis was back then. So yeah, so Emmanuel Perrin replaces Nicola Andretta for a bit from what he's doing elsewhere. Nicola Andretta was previously LVMH. Do we think uh, he's on gardening leave or do we think he's going to pop up back at LVMH? Seen as LVMH are really pushing forwards with their their watch stuff. I look, I, I he's a, he's a he's a tenacious fellow. He's got some good ideas. I I really don't think that failure at Richemont is a bad thing. I mean, <laughs> George Kern is a very uh, famous person who you know had a very high position there, and just to said, yeah, I, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I want to you know make make a few more of my own decisions, and and I'd say he's a success story. Um, I think there's a lot of fantastic things people learn at Richemont, but it, 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 Richemont is a bit of a victim of its own model, whereas the brands aren't necessarily free enough to do what it is they need to do, <clears throat> you know, always to get by. So I think that, you know, David and I, and I'm sure you, Rick, have, have a lot of inherent respect for Roger Dubuis. We like what they do. That doesn't mean we can stand by every single product, but I've always sort of wanted the best for that brand. I always sort of like them. It's, it's, um, one that I want to to see be the best version of itself possible. So I do wish them very well. Yeah, I mean, they turned up to Watches and Wonders effectively with no watches because they had one watch and even it was a, a, a concept watch. David, thoughts on Roger Dewey on this Lamborghini watch and the brand in general? Are you a fan? I've read the article about the Knights of the uh, Round Table uh, yes. a couple of weeks ago. We published that. Uh, that was a lot of fun to write, and uh, it only happened like a week or so after we published that that the CEO resigned, <laughs> um, which was an old article. Um, but anyway, uh, I like Roger Dewey very much uh, in some ways, and in some others, I feel like I'm just not sure where to put them. They they've been giving off these. Um, Bitcoin millionaire vibes, you know, it's like, oh, if you made a bunch of money real fast, then you go and buy yourself a Lamborghini and the Roger Dewey to go with it. And that's it. That, that's where it starts and that's where it ends, which is a shame because obviously, you know, their, their movement designs can be really out there and they add to the to the entertainment factor of watches and watchmaking. And I feel like, you know, it, it's basically a halo product for the world of watches. And the... 2000s and even the, the 2010s, you know, you used to have many, many more concept watches and crazy movements and crazy dials and complications and all the rest of them. 
which we no longer see, uh, hardly any. Uh, and so for that reason, uh, you know, I, I like Roger Dupuy. Uh, we've been to the manufacturer, I don't know, like almost I don't know, seven, eight years ago, something like that. And I, you know, I mean, it's, it's a funky brand. I just wish that they had more direction and I wish that they uh, activated a little bit more and we could see, see stuff from them more often. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Good. Well, that was a watch related to Lamborghini. David, you have done a review of an MB&F HM8 Mark II, which is also yes. car-inspired. I'm not sure what to make of this. I'm not sure I like it. It just... I don't know whether... The, it, it strikes me as quite a difficult watch to photograph. Like, mm. everything's really flat in terms of the, the case. Not flat in terms of shape, but in terms of color uh it 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 feels i mean i dare i say it feels like christmas crackery <laughs> just weird yeah. look at it it doesn't it it doesn't look like it's got the kind of heft that i would normally associate with an mbnf like they look substantial this yeah this looks this looks a bit odd is it really uh very different it's cool. I mean, it's a funky watch. It's it's not the horological machine that I personally would go for, but it's still uh, a cool design. You can see that you know there are many cool details that you would discover only the, later on, and you can you know you can reverse engineer what uh, Max was inspired by in terms of automotive inspirations and all the rest of it. It's it's a it's a tad expensive for what it is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, I think I think the the HM. Uh, collection and the legacy machine collection for that matter is so strong and there are so many truly breathtaking um offer offerings in there that i'm just not sure this is the one that i would go for but it's, it's a funky watch and the material is carbo carbon macrolon is this just another name for whatever moon swatches are made of uh, probably not. I think it's a little bit more delicate than that. And um, the color saturations and the and the way that they could work with these, and it's also extremely light, um, uh -huh. was kind of cool. But again, it's it's what they do with it, is, uh, in my experience, what matters. So material sciences are very cool. And of course, you know, the, the world of watchmaking has been, um, uh, you know, using cool new materials, uh, you know, actually pretty frequently. Uh, over the last number of years, but still, if it's an ugly shape or if it's like something that you would not want to wear on your wrist, then the whole thing does not matter. Here, it's not the case. I think here they managed to replicate some of the car design um, elements very faithfully with, with this material. Yeah. And to me, that is what matters. Cool, and it's got a Velcro strap on it, which feels a bit like uh, what we call over here, all fur coat and knee knickers. I don't know if that, phrase rings any bells with anybody in either the states or hungry but it's like when you uh, something really really nice and then you attach something incredibly cheap and utilitarian it's because it. it's so cold where you live <laughs> you assume everything valuable has to be very heavy and to protect you from the elements <laughs> right oh, yeah. i just but the problem with velcro straps is they only really work if your wrist happens to be one size otherwise you end up with all the fluff of the day caught in the velcro unless it's fully covered over you my friend are forgetting for this price you get a custom strap is it custom i hope <laughs> yeah, i hope you hear me mbnf <laughs> for this price everyone gets a custom the, size the, strap the max himself flies out from castle grey skull 
where they're now existing and hand measures your wrist and fits you with a Velcro strap. I think that's a service that Mac should be personally providing if you're going to buy a £78,000 uh, MBNF uh, HME. Well, we, we kind of flagged it at the beginning that we we're going to take a, a dip into the archive. And I feel a bit guilty about doing this, but I did a random number generator uh, for the page of the blog to watch. There are 983 pages on the blog to watch website and the random number generator kicked up number 393. And on page 393, the article, which I thought, well, you know, let's go back and talk about something that this podcast never had the chance to talk about. Seen as Ariel saying that, you know, everything has to be able to be listened to forever and relevant for, for more than just the week in which it's published. Uh, this is the Tudor Blackbait GMT, which to my mind is a watch that for me changed watches. I think this is the first hype watch went beyond the watch geek that actually started to get folk that were marginally into watches into watches proper and listening to podcasts and diving and going into history and all the rest of it what do you guys remember about the launch of the black bay gmt i think a good thing to do when we do this is to also put the year and maybe even the month of publication just to give a little bit of context so this is from march the 21st 2018 michael pignati wrote this okay article. so this was if i recall correctly the same year that rolex also had some new gmt and it was very specifically seen that Tudor was doing this the same year that, you know, Rolex was, I think they were redoing the GMT sort of like, wow, I'm really excited about that $10,000 watch. Guess I'm going to buy the $3,500 one. <laughs> and, and that, that business model actually works quite well for Rolex and Tudor. Yeah. Uh, this was, was this launched at bat? I suppose it would have been Basel world back in the day. Was it? Yeah, this would have been at Basel World. Um, I think the very last Basel World of 2018. Yeah, uh, David, were you at that Basel World? Do you remember the hype around this watch? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was it was Basel. I'm not sure if that was the last one though. I think 2019 was the last one. But whatever, I, I do remember um, that one. Yeah, and it's funny that that it coinc coincided that the two watches that uh, the Rolex and the Tudor were launched in the same year. But they were, and you know, every once in a while, people make this out to be the end of the world. But you know, every every single time, it turns out not to be the case. And so, what impact do you? I mean, I, as I said, I feel this watch had an impact beyond just the normal watch geek. Maybe it was just me. Maybe it's just because it was one of the first watches. I was like, right, okay, I really need to get into watches more because I love this. Uh, did you witness any change that this watch brought to? the watch world it was effectively as you say ariel a cheap rolex that looked like an expensive rolex that was actually made by rolex at the time uh we know that the japanese companies were full at work making new mechanical gmt watches remember that like inexpensive mechanical gmts really didn't exist you had some just really crappy ones but like you had to go, you had to spend pretty big money if you wanted like a decent GMT. You could buy a really good chronograph for a lot less than a decent GMT. And what I mean is like an independently adjusting, you know, um, you know, twenty-four hour hand, 
maybe one that you could set forward and backwards. You know, some of the nice ones allow you to set, you know, just by the hour rather than it's just these things that they, they may all look the same dial wise, but they don't perform the same. And so what we have now is, you know, we have the Seiko 5 GMT. Mm-hmm. So I think that what this did was the beginning of making it clear that there was a huge market for affordable um, I don't know what you want to go true or or, or, or good performing or, or, or sophisticated mechanical automatic GMT movements. Yeah, so this was the, this was what started the GMT trend that we're still we're maybe drawing towards the end of it, especially after you roasted the the Omega Aquaterra a few weeks ago as not being a luxury <laughs> movement. But uh, yeah, maybe that is what this did. This actually brought the GMT movement back into the mainstream and made a hold of micro brands sit up and pay attention that can we find a movement that we can put in a an even more competitive watch than a Tudor Black Bay for a GMT? I mean, where did you go for GMT watches before at this kind of level, the sort of three grand level before before Tudor came out with it? What what was the go to? I mean, there's a lot of stuff. There's the you know the the Etta uh, twenty eight ninety three. Uh, which is, uh, you know, again, not as great to use as, you know, the Rolex's GMT movement, but n- not not bad. That would be very, very popular to do. Um, and I'd say, you know, Omega uh, with with a lot of their Aquaterra ones, again, you know, on a pre-owned, uh, you know, or, you, you know, used basis were, were probably pretty affordable. Um but I, I, I probably those base edit movements is, is really where you saw most of the entry price points at a Swiss-made mechanical product. Cool. Well, go and hunt out that old article. And if you have a page number you'd like us to inspect and pick something from the Blog to Watch archive, then do get in touch. Anything you want to tell us other than that, email us podcasts at ablogtowatch.com. Or uh, contact us, hit us up directly at any of our Instagram accounts. Finally, a bit of fun, although I'm not really au fait with the show, but uh, a bit of uh, pop culture collaboration, the Cartman watch from Unimatic. We're talking about this because it's one of the most commented articles on the website this week. I don't know if it's just because <laughs> everybody's South Park fans. Uh, but tell us about your experience with the South Park watch, Ariel. You wrote the article. Are you a South Park fan, or did this just come across yeah. your desk? No, I I am, and the, the, I think what amuses me is that you know David and I have spent so much time you know sharing mutual love for this show that it kind of surprised me that not everyone's into it. Like I was actually kind of shocked that not everyone is uh, a South Park fan. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying everyone needs to like the show, but it is intelligent and there's sort of a there, there it's artistic and it's in, in the way it's crude and there's sort of a, a, an underlying intellectual philosophy behind a lot of it it's not all perfect but it's it, it is a high level uh you know thinking uh, production it's not like cartoon and so the sort of visceral reaction some people you keep telling yourself that ariel you keep telling yourself that it's I really mean, sophisticated look, <laughs> I, I guess there's i guess there's other opinions on the matter and they've had a whole breadth of stuff but artistically speaking I put it very high up there with creativity. I love how dynamic the show is, how quickly they they get shows out. There's just a lot of things to be impressed about there. Um, and it's fun because, you know, we're in an environment where all this stuff is getting on watches. All these cartoon characters, video games, movies, everything. It wasn't surprising that for the 25th anniversary of South Park, there'd be a Cartman watch. Um, I, I, I wore it 
a lot. I put it on this Seiko rowing blazer strap, which has these colors on it. I'm sure rowing People blazers like are delighted it. about it. <laughs> what? I, no, they seem to have no problem with it, actually. I told I told Jack about that, and he thought it was cool. I sent him a picture of it, actually. Um, and, and again, I just, you know, again, not everyone's going to like it, but it sort of shows you that even within the world of watches, we all we all really exist in these microcosms. And something that is just so obviously cool that you know David and myself, I can I can understand how another person might not have the same experience with me. But for me, I grew up with it. Super not controversial to be in the South Park. I'm on. <laughs> so I know about killing Kevin, and that's about it. So we've decided that there are those that take Kenny. It's Kenny. Oh, <laughs> Kenny. Oh my <laughs> do goodness. Even, turns out I don't even know about that. <laughs> but I think. So there are those that take their shoes off at the door and don't wear wristwatches inside. Kenny's immortal! And, and, and like <laughs> South Park, and then there's everybody else. Good stuff. Tell us tell us your best, be, favourite episode, David, of South Park. Favourite South Park meme. I know nothing about South Park. Educate I, me. I, I absolutely love the Jennifer Lopez mania episode, especially in Hungarian. It's hysterical <laughs> um, the, because we, we rarely talk about tacos and burritos and the way Cartman <laughs> is singing in Hungarian with a Spanish accent. It's uh, <laughs> impersonating <laughs> Jennifer Lopez. It's just absolutely hysterical. I actually watched that like twice the last week because I was like, I, I, I rediscovered South, my, my passion for South Park very recently, actually. And I was like, this is just too good. I, it's hysterical. And actually, the the fact that it annoyed Jennifer Lopez to such an extent is all, it just adds another bit of uh, of that that she she took it so seriously. <laughs> it's just fantastic. Okay, I, I might have to try try and check that out because that does sound actually. Quite Let me just say that taco flavored kisses sounds pretty funny in Hungarian, and in English it's also funny. It's That's pretty great. Funny in English too, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, go and check out Ariel's review of the Unimatic South Park. Modelo Uno U1 EC Cartman watch. So Cartman's not, is it Kenny or Kevin? What did I say? Cartman's not Kenny. Kevin, whoever his name is, different character. I know nothing about South Park, as was Kenny. Clearly. Great. Kenny. So Kenny. Cartman's a different, Cartman's different from Kenny. It's not the same person. It's not, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Right. No. Okay, that's me. There's an episode where Cartman dies, but he sort of doesn't. And there are lots of episodes where Kenny dies. Well, it just sounds like the Marvel Universe and cartoon form, no one actually ever dies. Basically, yes. Ariel, is there is there another dial version with like Kenny on it, or is it just Cartman? Well, that's the thing. I asked Unimatic. I was like, "Are there going to be more <clears throat> now that they have the relationship with you know the license holder that they can do whatever they want? Um, they're going to go ahead and um, you know see how this goes. This first series sold out, so as far as I know, there could be more." I don't know exactly what it'll be. Um, you know, it, this was simple. I just, you know, put the character on the dial, no special hands or anything like that. So we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, they did that. They did uh, the SpongeBob one in two sets. So there was a second edition of the SpongeBob one, which was also Unimatic. So I think there's a good chance there'll be, there'll be more of these watches. I, I'm just realizing I'm now, re I'm now reading some of the comment section. Go check out the comment section because Ariel's having a square go with several of the readers over this watch. So go <laughs> check out the comment section and let us know uh, what you think about this watch. The comment section. Thank you, Ariel, for, for fighting the good fight. <laughs> fighting the good fight. Anytime, so. David. <laughs> Where are you guys this week? David, what are you up to? You wearing your, <laughs> you're lining up your watches at your bedside table and not wearing them and putting them by the door by all your shoes. Do you match your watches with your shoes on the way out? I don't know. 
I'm, I'm moving all my watches to my shoe rack. That's that's what I'm doing this week. <laughs> Put a watch in each shoe and it will surprise you as to which one you're wearing every morning. Yes, exactly. I, I would just match them together, yeah. What are you What are you reviewing currently? What's coming from you on the website? Well, I'm, tr- I'm in the process of editing. I actually took a video and the time lapse of me putting together this Initium thing. And, uh, and of course, there's an article. So I was... I had my camera on a tripod, I had to stand up, take a picture, then sit down, watch the instruction videos, do the thing that I need, I had to do, then make sure that the time lapse is rolling, and then narrate the whole thing to the camera, because I, I was hoping to, like, have a video out of this, so I have to, like, put all of this into, like, something that resembles quality content. Now, bear in mind, the listener stroke, the viewer of the video will be checking to see that you're not wearing a watch and that you've not got any shoes on. So I don't mm. know if there's a wide angle shot of you doing this that shows... I am wearing a watch throughout this process, actually. So, mm-hmm. so it turns out you were fibbing. Anyway, yeah. Ariel, what, what's coming from you this week? I'm wearing um, an interesting watch that I've actually really enjoyed. This is the Zenith uh, Defy Skyline mm. in black ceramic with the matching black ceramic bracelet. And this is the first time I've worn a sharper cut, uh, sort of smaller segment uh, ceramic bracelet mm. um, because of sort of the style. I've had, of course, experience with Chanel J12s, but those are a very different type of link. Um, this is a this is a cool watch. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on it, but um, it's sort of, I'm still asking myself the question of how I like an all ceramic watch on bracelet compared to a metal one, because I think it's a very interesting and different experience for people. It's, it's quite cool and compelling, I have to say. And are you finding yourself protecting it because you're worried about yeah. it? Yeah. I do, I, <laughs> I do, and again, I never felt this way with a Chanel at all. But again, the links are substantially larger. I do think to myself, "Wow, I'm, I don't want to do something accidental." It doesn't feel fragile, but like, yeah, there's, there's something about it which just makes me a little afraid. I'm sure if I wore it for a long time and you know didn't, didn't have a problem with it, that, that would wane. But there is a sort of sense of fragility to it, even though it's extremely, you know, scratch resistant. Good stuff. Well, look forward to that coming out shortly. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please leave us a review on your podcast or choice. Let your friends know. And if you really must go and listen to Superlative, that, you know, evergreen show that will just remain relevant forever and ever while we fade into weekly obscurity. <laughs> within about within about two months, we will have 12,000 published articles on a blog to watch. So that's a lot of archives to dig into. There is a lot of archives to dig into. So if you'd like us to visit the archives, then do give us a shout. Thank you all very much for listening. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.